0: So it's important for us to to not be haughty, to not be boastful, to to operate in wisdom, conduct ourselves with maturity. You know, I was telling I was telling the the ministry team earlier today. You know, there's like y'all remember when you finally realize you're an adult, like when when that day hits you're like, you know what? I've got responsibilities. I kind of understand how this world works now. I'm an adult I'm not a kid anymore and you make that transition in how you think and how you approach things it's very different from how you thought when you were 12 13 and 14 years old I think it's important for the church to adopt the perspective of a mature adult because we understand what's going on in the world we understand how it works and we understand our responsibility what we're seeing happen in this country on both sides of the aisle and in the world now is a repercussion of what's happening is the behavior of 12, 13, and 14-year-olds on a maturity level, caught up in drama and petting. It's not understanding what the big picture really is. Okay? So it's important for us. It's important for us to watch what we say, watch how we say it, watch what we post, and watch how we post those things. Okay? Let me say it again. To watch how we post those things because we're still waiting for information to come out. Y'all remember in 2000 when there was craziness with the election and the media came out and said, Al Gore has won and then it went to court and 37 days later, 38 days later, Al Gore didn't win, George Bush won. It's important to wait for all the information to come out before you start shooting this thing off. the media hasn't learned that lesson yet, apparently, you know, and uh, boy, they're doing themselves a big disservice, at least some news and media outlets. Some are keeping their mouth shut. You know what? Respect to them. Wait for the information to come out one way or the other. Okay. Uh, I say that to us as a church to encourage us to operate in unity, to operate in wisdom, to operate in maturity, because at the end of the day. We still live in a world that's impacted by a global pandemic we still operate in a community with people that are hurting and need jesus with lives that are falling apart with marriages that are broken with children that are hooked on drugs with a suicide rate that is through the roof in our country right now this country needs jesus and it's important that the church walks through this and keeps its credibility and fly over this drama and this mess and we keep focused on what the church is supposed to be focused on. That's reaching this world for Jesus. 20 billion years from now, when we're ruling and reigning with Christ, who gives a flying rip who wins this election? Okay, all I'm gonna be concerned about are the thousands of people that we get to take with us to heaven, Amen. the people that we get to rescue from the fire of the hell. That's what's important. Okay, that's what's important. So let's keep our eyes on the big picture. All right? How about we get into the Word today, though? My goodness. Week two of a series that we are calling Unshakable. Why are we calling it Unshakable? Because we want your walk with God to be unshakable. Our core scripture for this whole series is found in Matthew 7. Jesus is given this parable, and he talks about the difference between a guy who built his home on a foundation of rock and a guy who built his home on a foundation of sand. And the guy that built it on the rock, which was the word of God, was able to withstand all the storms and all the trials and everything that life was throwing at him. But the guy that built it on the sand wasn't able to. We want to make sure that we are building our lives on a solid foundation. We said this last week. We're building our lives on some kind of foundation. It's either going to be the legitimacy of biblical principles or it's going to be the substitute things of the world which aren't going to stand. So I want to build my life on the rock. I want to build my life on something that I know is going to be there when it counts the most. And we want to make sure as a church that we're equipping each other to be able to withstand the attacks of life and the attacks of the enemy. Because the goal is everybody finishes this race. Everybody gets to heaven. So we want to give you some core things over the, the next few weeks and this week to help you have a solid foundation in your walk with God It's absolutely unshakable, regardless of what you're walking through in life. And one of the things that we're going to be looking at today is our identity in Jesus. That is critical to the foundation that we're building our walk with God on. Because if we don't understand who we are, we don't understand what the Bible says about us, we don't understand the promises that God has given us, That we have to stand on it's very easy for the enemy to come in and have his way with us so i want to share with you a message today that's called whispers in the dark whispers in the dark and we'll get into this and you'll understand what i'm talking about genesis chapter 3 verse 1 reads like this now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, most of us know how this story goes. The serpent we know is Satan. We know that from other uh, references to the serpent, uh, serpent being Satan, the Old Testament prophets, and in the book of Revelation, serpents called Satan. We know serpent is Satan here in this passage of Scripture we know that he's tempting Eve to fall into sin. I want to not so much focus on that, but I want to focus on the word serpent because this word serpent means something kind of sinister. When you look at serpent in the Hebrew, nakahash, if you want to try to halfway pronounce it right, it means whispering enchanter, whispering enchanter. And that's who we're dealing with as an enemy. Okay? Now, this is what we know about the devil. The devil is tricky, the devil is deceitful, the devil likes to attack people, and the Bible says that he prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. But this is what I found in my life that there are some times when he roars like a lion, there's sometimes when he attacks you full on in your life, but then there are times. When he just whispers little seeds of doubt about who we are. And it's one of the most devastating tactics that he has. He likes to whisper. And sometimes he distracts with the roar and he distracts with the attacks and his main objective is to get in close, so that he can begin to whisper, and deceive, and to sell those lies to get us to doubt who God says that we are. Now he's busy doing a lot of that stuff, but some of this is on us too because I, we we got to take we got to take responsibility for for some of that stuff ourselves. So okay, I think there's a lot of doors that we leave open for the enemy to come in and attack us on. You know, like I was. Walking around the house, this was a couple of months ago, and we had, uh, we were having fun. I forget what we were eating for breakfast, but like towards the end of breakfast, I began to notice there were a lot of flies in the house. You ever just been invaded by flies in your house? You know, man, there's not just one. If you've got one, you've got 10. You know, they just, like they multiply while they're flying around. So we noticed there's flies everywhere. I mean, what is the deal with all these flies? But in our house, We're prepared. Okay, we got a little bit of redneck on our um, a certain size of our family. So we got this little thing in our house. I don't know if you guys have seen this or you might have one of these, but it looks like like a tennis racket. Yes. Okay, and you put nine volt batteries in this Joker. Yeah. And it acts like a bug zapper, only you get to walk around with it and like swat flies. And when you hit them, you get to watch them light up while you're smacking these things down in the air. Always oh, some of the best free fun you're ever going to have. Oh, it's so awesome. Um but we decided that wasn't enough in the house. Like we wanted to take our war against the flies to a whole nother level. So we've got, you all know, see these little salt guns you can get? Oh my gosh, those things are awesome. Cause now you're not just, like you can just live out every military fantasy you've ever wanted to live out in your own home, sneaking up on flies and blasting them with this salt. And it's great to, you have to clean it all up. But man, who, who cares about cleanup? This is about war. We got flies to kill in the house. So, so we we're walking around swatting flies and shooting flies, and it's kind of fun. But then I noticed, you know what, I'm shooting these things, and they're not going away. Like, I've got my kill count over here, you know, I've got my trophy case of dead flies. I got that, but, but they're, still, they're still coming in. And I was like, what is the deal with this? They got to be coming from somewhere. So, I was walking around, checking all the windows. Windows are closed. Well, it's not it. This door's closed. This door's closed. Go to the back door, and the back door is cracked open about that much. And all the flies are coming in from the back porch area into the house. And as fast as I'm killing them, they're invading. Just, you know, it's taking them out. And I think that translates pretty well over into a spiritual principle that we got to make sure that we're keeping doors closed so that the enemy doesn't keep coming in because listen you can fight all the battles that you want to you can take out all the flies that you want to and you can scream and shout and sling oil all over the place and pray in the holy ghost and that's awesome but until you close the door the flies are not going to stop coming into the house so there's some stuff that we got to own on our for ourselves okay we've got to keep the door shut and i was thinking well there's there's a few ways that we keep the door open for the enemy to come in, that get close access to us, to be able to whisper this stuff into our lives. And the first one I was thinking about was just sin that we continue in. Sin that we continue in. Romans chapter 12, or Romans chapter 6, rather, verse 12, reads like this. It says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. I want to read this again. Therefore... Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Whose responsibility is it to not let sin reign in our body? It's us. We get to choose. After Christ, we choose. We choose whether or not sin has access and control in our lives. Okay? It's not like we're walking around a room getting haphazardly beat to death by a bunch of sin clowns with rubber baseball bats. Okay? We choose. We open up the door. We let that happen. Don't let sin rain in your mortal bodies. Because I was thinking how this plays out. I don't know how it works for you guys, but like, there are times when, like, you go for a walk in the woods and you trip over like a log or a rock or something and you stumble a little bit, but you're still on the trail and you're able to keep your balance or pick yourself back up and keep walking. That's different from walking up to a cliff. And seeing the danger and knowing what's about to happen and choosing to jump off of it. Two different scenarios. That's how it works with sin. Now, I get it. None of us are perfect, me included. And there are probably going to be times in the future where as we're walking along this trail, growing in our walk with God, we might stumble from time to time. Okay? Listen, guess what? We got God's grace to cover us during those times we got God's forgiveness and His love to cover us during those times. We can go back and say, God, I'm sorry. I messed up. We repent. He forgives. He forgets. As far as the east is from the west, the Bible says He casts our sins. So if we go back to Him and say, hey, remember when I messed up here? He's going to look at us and go, I don't know what you're talking about. That's covered under the blood. I don't remember that stuff anymore. That's different from willfully choosing to allow sin in our lives. And I think that's more the way that we keep the door open for the enemy because when that door is open and we're choosing to continue in sin, how many of you know that the devil's really good about whispering condemnation over you while you're caught in that? You know what I mean? Man. Man. It's fun for a second and then on the back end of it, here comes the enemy whispering, whispering, whispering. So I think... I think sin that we continue in gives him access that we don't have to give him in our lives. I think another thing that we do is we're not careful about what we say. I think the words that we speak a lot of times open up the door for the enemy to have access to our lives. Proverbs 18 verse 21, it reads like this. It says, the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. Proverbs chapter six verse two. It says this. It says, "You have been trapped by what you said, ensnared by the words of your mouth." What we say has incredible power. It's an incredible power. And here's what's more important: is that when we say stuff, guess who can hear it? Play the jeopardy music. Da 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 da. Hey. When we say stuff, the enemy can hear it. I'm just so stupid. I can't believe I did that again. Well, he just heard that. You just spoke death over yourself. Well, I'm just always. Why can't I? I just. I, he hears it, and he'll replay your words back to you. Whisper, whisper, whisper. How he operates. I think another thing that we do too that we could not do and and close the door on the enemy is pay attention to the thoughts that we think. Incredibly powerful, the things that we think. Proverbs 23, verse 7, it reads like this. It says, for as he thinks within himself, some translations say, for as a man thinks within himself, so he is. So he is. So the thoughts that we think have incredible impact on who we are. The Bible says that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks the thoughts that we think create. It, it all comes from, the, it's all in the same cycle. It's all coming from the same place. And it all opens the door for the enemy to do what he wants to do in our lives. And I think if we just practically pay attention to those things, and we're careful that we're not willfully choosing to let sin reign in our lives. And if we are just being very careful about what we speak and make sure we're not being so negative about what we say over ourselves and giving the enemy ammo to use against us. And we pay attention to what we're thinking and what we're what we're pouring into our heart that's affecting our thought pattern. I think we can close a lot of the doors ourselves. On what the enemy wants to do in our lives i think a lot of his strategy is read and react read and react read and react and he takes cues sometimes off of what we do i've noticed that the devil like he it seems like he gets real active in our lives at the end of one season going into the beginning of another one It seems like temptations and the trials and the attacks and the whispers and, and all the stuff that cause us to doubt, it seems like it, it always comes strategically when God is fixing to open up a door or give an answer to a prayer in that fourth quarter of faith when we're trying to press through, you know, that's when he seems to systematically come in and attack because he's figured out that if he can affect our perception of ourselves, then it can keep us from stepping into the fullness of who God has called us to be. So he tries to keep us in this little playpen that he's built in. Listen, Jesus wasn't even exempt to this. Like the, the devil tried this in Jesus's life in Matthew chapter four. Um, you can see it. Matthew four, uh, verse one, I'm not going to read the whole story to you, but it, it talks about how Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Jesus was in a transitional season in his ministry. He had spent 30 years in obscurity on some side road. And now he was fixing to get launched into public ministry where he was going to open blind eyes, raise people from the dead, open deaf ears, preach the words that his father, His ministry was fixing to start on a public level. And God said, yeah, um, we're going to hit pause on that for a second. And I'm going to send you into the wilderness to pray and to fast because you've got a little bit more that I want to do inside of you. Listen, it's interesting to note that before God did something very powerful, even through his own son, he took his son to a place where he could do something powerful inside of him. Because God is always going to do something in you before God does something through you. He's more concerned about the growth that's taking place in your life and who you're becoming and how you're learning to trust him because that's necessary because if you don't get that, you won't be able to step into the calling and ministry or whatever it is that he's calling you to do or the blessing that he's wanting to pour out in your life because you do not have what's in yourself. You don't have it in yourself at that point to carry the weight of it. So he's got to grow and develop us to get us to that point. The enemy also knows that. So it's like in times of preparation, here comes the enemy. Jesus is out in the wilderness praying and fasting 40 days and 40 nights without food, without water. And if you read this story on your own later, you'll see one of the most like Captain Obvious verses ever in the Bible. And it says, Jesus was hungry. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so, after 40 days of not eating, I would be hungry. I'd be hangry, I'd be honest with you. I'd be hangry, like I'd be fussing at lizards crawling around, what are you doing over here? I might might have to to pray a little bit extra to get over that stuff. But here comes the enemy, and he begins to tempt Jesus. When he's physically at his weakest and most vulnerable in his flesh, here comes in. I mean, you guys probably know the story, but if you don't, I will just tell you. I kind of paraphrase. He comes to me. and he goes, "Hey, if you're the son of God, turn these rocks into bread." And Jesus says, "Nah." And he hits him back with the Word of God. He says, it's written. No, 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 no. Satan should have known better because he was like trying to manipulate Scripture against not somebody who had memorized a whole lot of the Bible, but somebody who was the Incarnation of the Word itself. He was speaking the Word to the very Word of God and the flesh. It's crazy. How do you think you're going to win that battle in the first place? That's how dumb the devil is. So he comes back and he says, "Hey, if you're the Son of God, then why don't you throw yourself off from this high place?" The Bible says that his angels will catch you and bear you under their wings. You won't. You won't get hurt. You know. And then later, Satan pulls out the coup de grace and he says, "Look." Takes you to Jesus to this place and he says, look at all the kingdoms of the world. I'll give it to you right now. You won't have." He was giving Jesus the goal. He was offering Jesus the goal. I'll give it to you and you don't have to pay a price for it. I'll give it to you and you don't have to be crucified. I'll give it to you and you don't have to be tortured. You don't have to go through any of that stuff. All you got to do is just worship me. Jesus hits him back and I'm watching this back and forth happen and I I was reading through this and I'm like man this is just Satan's hitting Jesus with the word Jesus is hitting Satan back with the word and Jesus is kicking Satan's tail all over this place you know and it's great to watch this exchange because if Jesus could overcome temptation in the flesh then I can do it too in him and I'm getting all this stuff and then I realized that you know what Satan's strategy through this whole process of temptation wasn't the temptation that he was putting before Jesus. It was the questioning of Jesus' identity that came before the temptation that was really the play that he was concerned about. Because if in a weakened state, and weak flesh, he could get Jesus to doubt who he was. He won it right there. If you are, if you can you imagine being the all-powerful son of God caught up in this weak, corrupted flesh, looking at the devil that you saw kicked out of heaven fell like lightning, who had the tenacity to look at you and say, "If you are who you say you are, why don't you show me something, big boy? all kinds of motivations you got to put in check there and i thought why why this play on identity, why this play on who jesus was i i i, I i was like why, why is why is this the thing that's sticking out to me why is this so important and then i thought you know what i would go back a little bit and maybe this will explain it because why would god put jesus in a place where he'd be vulnerable to temptation about his and, and doubt about who he was so i went back to uh chapter three and and i was reading and i thought oh He didn't leave him hanging out there. When Jesus walked up to this crowd right before he was sent to the wilderness, follow me, I'm going somewhere with this. Jesus walked up to the crowd. John the Baptist stopped everything. And he pointed at Jesus and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Pointed right at him, validated his identity, validated his identity. Jesus comes up and he goes, hey, bro, you got to baptize me, Jesus. And John's like, bro, um, I know who you are. You know who you are. Don't you think it's kind of messed up for me to be baptizing you right now? You need to be baptizing me. And Jesus is like, nah, you don't understand. You need to baptize me right now because this thing isn't done yet. Jesus goes under, he comes up. The Bible says this, that the heavens split open in that moment when he came out of the water, that the voice of God, boomed from heaven as the Holy Spirit descended like a dove in full view of everybody that was there, including Jesus himself saw the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit descend down on him. And the voice of God from heaven said, this is my son who I love with him. I am well pleased. That's all the validation that you need right there. I belong to God. He loves me, and he's pleased with what I'm doing. Wow, that is powerful. My son that I love, with him I'm well pleased. Then I began to realize he wouldn't have spoken that if there wasn't a need for it, and the enemy wouldn't have attacked it if it wasn't important to him. So one and one equals two. I'm here to tell you guys one of the most, what the greatest spiritual battle you will ever fight in your life is over your identity. It is over your identity. It is constant. It's consistent. It goes on and on and on. The enemy wants you to doubt who you are from one day to the next so that he can put you in a box and keep you from doing what God has called you to do. On the other side, God wants you to understand who you are because it's empowering. Because when you understand who you are, it doesn't matter what the enemy says about you because you know what's true john chapter 8 i was reading this um it says once the full line says then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free it's important to know the truth about ourselves it's important to know the truth of the word of god and what biblical principles say about situations because when you know the truth it's easy to expose the lies when you know it's true, then you know what the lies are. Because the lies are everything else besides this. You understand? It becomes very clear and very simple. When you know the truth, it clarifies things. And I was thinking about how uh, you know the devil's represented to us in scripture. Like when we read the Bible, you, you see Jesus saying things about Satan. Like we're always taught that Satan is the deceiver and that Satan is the father of lies, and he is. Jesus even said he's the father of lies, and when Satan speaks and he lies, he's speaking his native language. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. But it's not, I want you to hear me on this. When I know the truth of what the word of God says about me, it's not the lies of the enemy that trip me up. Because the truth exposes the lies it's what i found more times than not in my life and maybe you guys have maybe you guys watching online you've seen this to to be uh, a reality in your life it's not the lies of the enemy that give me the hardest time it's when he tells the truth about me that gives me the hardest time it's when he he tells that truth and it's true it's true i when he says, "You, Josh, you are this person, I can't deny it. I am this person. It's, it's weird because we, we live in this weird moving reality where we are where we are in the progress of our walk with God. And we've come from where he's taken us. We're moving into who he's called us to be. But every day we live in this constant just straight-up fact that we're not there yet. And the devil's really good at pointing out how we're not there yet. Yeah. He's, always, he's really good at pointing out the true things about us to whisper that doubt and cause confusion in who we are. And it's that presentation of truth that causes a conflict. in me, I don't know about you guys, but it's, it's like he'll come in and, and he'll just, just some random stuff How can God ever use you? If you. Uh, he, he, how can God use you? You can't control your emotions. You just lost your temper with your family yesterday. It's the truth. You did it. Truth. How can He. And He'll begin to speak His truth over your life. Well, you. You're not qualified to do what God's called you to do. You don't know enough of the Word of God to be effective. You, you Fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. He's good about knowing the truth about us and reminding us of the truth and reality of where we are. And it's truth. You can't deny it. It's truth. So I'm like, how do, you, how do you deal with that? How do you, how do you combat that? Because you can't lie about who you are, what you've done, or what you're doing. You know, he'll come back to you and he'll say, man, you're just always going to be the guy that struggles with porn. It's what you're doing now. It's who you are. Your marriage is never going to come together. It's the truth you guys are fighting. It's true you can't get along. He'll present the truth of the situation and he'll present the truth of the reality of where you're at at the moment. And use it to play pin box us in so we can't go anywhere or do anything. What we've done and where we are but there's another reality, guys. Okay, the devil speaks truth. Yeah, but somebody gave me this great, great, great illustration. It's like he he speaks little t truth over our lives, but God speaks big T truth over our lives because there's a reality of my situation. Okay, and then. Then there's the freedom that comes in God's revelation. Two very different things. And it's like what what God reveals and what God shows in God's truth doesn't negate the little t truth. It just supersedes the the little t truth in our lives. You know what? I might not be qualified. I might not have it together. I might have an issue here and an issue there. But my God says, uh, my God says, yes. "My God says, oh, I'm a new creation that's growing every day." You see, you see the difference in the focus right there. See, He'll come and He'll speak the truth of the situations that we're in. Well, you you don't have the money that you're supposed to have. Well, you got laid off from your job. Well, that's the truth. Now your housing situation is up in the air. That's the truth. Your kids are going buck wild crazy. That's the truth. Okay. He'll speak the truth of the situations. But where you are in a situation isn't where God is going to have you when it's all said and done. Okay? He'll speak on where you are, but he'll forget about telling you what God is doing to work you towards where he wants you to be in your life. So he tells that little t truth all day long, hoping that you'll get focused on that and take your eyes off of the big, truth. The truth is still the truth. Listen, you might be in the fire. You might be in it right now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You're in the fire. That's true. That's where you are. But the revelation of God is that there's a fourth man in the fire with you who will see you through to the other side. You see what I'm saying? You see what I'm saying? It's powerful when you grasp that. The truth is, David, there is a giant up there that nobody wants to face. But the revelation and the bigger truth of God is that God can drop any giant that he wants to whenever he wants to do it. See, you see this in, in, uh, in, in Jesus' life with the disciples when he was crucified and he died, and the disciples scattered. Even though Jesus had told them, hey, guys, listen, it's coming, okay? I'm just telling you, it's coming. These these people are going to turn on me. I'm going to be put on trial. I'm going to be tortured. I'm going to be crucified. They're going to kill me. They're going to put me in a grave. And three days later, I'm going to pop back up. He told them time and time and time again, okay? But when it happened, they scattered. And many of them went back to doing What they did before they encountered Jesus. Why? Because they were focused on the situation. And Satan had deceived them into focusing on the truth of the problem. Satan had deceived them into focusing on this reality, but they had lost sight of the deeper revelation of what Jesus was doing in it. They went back to what they had done before. Listen to me. This is what Satan wants to do in your life. He wants to frustrate you by showing you the truth and the reality of where you are so that you go back to what's familiar, so that you go back to what's comfortable, so that you go back to the boat instead of preaching the gospel. He will put you there. If you let him, Jesus has got you lost sight of this whole thing. I have to go to the cross because if I don't go to the cross, I can't be crucified. If I'm not crucified, then I can't die. If I'm not dead, there can't be a resurrection. It all goes one, two, three. If there's no resurrection, there's no validation to my ministry. They lost sight of the revelation. I want to encourage you today, listen to me church, you guys watching online, don't lose sight of the bigger revelation of what God is doing in your life, all right? You might feel like you're in a situation where it's all falling apart, where everything you counted on has just fallen to the wayside, and you might feel like you've been crucified in your devil. Let me encourage you guys, there's a resurrection that's coming, God is not through working in the situation, he is a God that takes every situation the Bible says and works works it out for the good of those who love him and trust him. There's a deeper revelation in what's happening. Don't buy into the lie of the enemy because he'll make you think you're less than what you are. It's amazing how many times we get focused on our own handicaps and we lose sight of what God could do in and through us despite of our handicaps. You know, and sometimes the things that, that we become most frustrated with in our lives are often the things that God uses as a platform for us to stand on and preach the good news of what he's done in our lives. I brought a video for you to see today. Media team, are we ready? I want you guys to watch this story of how one man overcomes his disability
1: I wasn't ready legs, but I'm very thankful that I have my little chicken drumstick here. People freak out when they see me for the first time. It's so cool. I was at a water slide um, all by myself. Everyone obviously at the bottom of the slide is looking up and waiting for other people to come down. And here I come and they're freaking out. They're like, you know, like this. And I was so tempted to look at myself and go, what happened? you know? There were times where I sort of looked at my life and thinking well I can't do this and I can't do that and you keep on concentrating on the things that you wish you had or the things that you wish you didn't have and you sort of forget what you do have. and there's no point I believe in my life where I wish I had arm's legs, I wish I had arm's legs, I wish I had arm's legs because pushing won't help but what I've seen in life are just a couple key principles and the first thing that I've seen is to be thankful. It's hard to be thankful man. I tell you when I was eight years old, I, I sort of summed up my life and thought I'm never going to get married, I, you know, I'm not going to have a job, I'm not going to have a life, of purpose. What kind of a husband am, am I going to be if I can't even hold my wife's hand? It's a lie to think that you're not good enough. It's a lie to think that you're not worth anything. You know so many people come and say how come you smile so much? And I'm like well... It's, it's, it's a long story. <laughs> but it's very simple at the same time. You see, it's very hard to smile sometimes in life. There are things that happen that you don't know and you don't understand and you don't know if you're going to get through it. You know, you go through your storms in life and you don't know how long this storm is going to be. And today I want to share with you some principles that I've learned in my life that you can use in yours. But I realize I may not have hands to hold my wife's hand. But when the time comes, I'll be able to hold her heart. I don't need hands to hold her heart. You know, it is scary to know how many girls have eating disorders. It is scary to know how many people are just angry at life because of their situation at home. And angry at others. It's scary to know how many people
0: actually feel like they're worth nothing. Don't let the enemy lie to you. Don't let the enemy lie to you. Okay? You are who the Bible says that you are. And you can do everything that the Bible says that you can do. And your identity isn't hinged. It's not hinged on what you see in the mirror. And your identity isn't even hinged in the truth about who you are. Your identity is found in Galatians chapter 3. Verse 26. I want to break this down for you real fast so we get ready to close today. What a great time in the presence of God, huh? What a great time today. Galatians 3 26. I want to read this to you. And just remind you. It says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized in Christ have clothed yourself. With Christ, And I want to stop there for a second because a lot of people read over this and they don't catch what's going on. Those who are baptized in Christ, okay, that talks, that's speaking to conversion, okay? You've given your heart to Jesus, okay? You've converted over and you're a follower of Jesus. But then, then some language is used that you might not pick up on if you don't understand what's happening. It says that we have clothed, you've clothed yourself, with Christ well that's weird I want to clothe myself and somebody is this like some weird silence of the lambs kind of thing It doesn't even make sense at all to me what's going on it is, what's going on with that see this is speaking this is, this is covenant language and it's something that you wouldn't understand unless you lived in that day in that time and you were privy to how things operated especially in the Jewish culture because when God dealt with the Jewish people, He dealt with them initially through covenant. Covenant was the most powerful form of agreement at the time. There were no courts, there were no legal systems. So if you wanted some, something that was binding, you made a covenant on it. And there was a ceremony that would take place between two parties that were making this covenant with one another. Very symbolic, and one of the things that they would do is that there would be, at one point, there would be an exchange of robes, and you would give your robe to somebody, and they would give their robe to you, and it was an exchange of identities, and you were saying, we are now one. And when someone looks at me, they will see you, and when someone looks at you, they're going to see me. This is what he's saying here. You've, You've clothed yourselves with christ and that covenant ceremony now your identity when people look at you is christ and you take on his righteousness the bible says and he takes on your sin to himself what a setup for the rest of this it says then there is no jew or greek there's neither slave nor free man. There's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. There it is again. It says, There's no Jew or Greek. That's speaking to nationality. Okay? That's speaking to nationality. It means that where you come from doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if you're from some hick hillbilly town with some inbred backwards family, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter in Christ. Your ethnicity, your color doesn't matter in Christ. Then he says, There is neither slave nor free man. No slave nor free man. This is speaking to economic status. If you're a slave, you have no possessions, no money, no nothing. You got nothing for yourself. Okay? If you're a free person in those days, it's very important in those days, then you had all the stuff. he's saying none of that matters. it doesn't matter how much money you have or how much money you don't have in Christ, none of it matters. He says there is neither male nor female in Christ. That's speaking to social status because in that day and look I'm not saying it's right, but in that day and in that time, women didn't have any rights, and women were pretty much a possession of the husband you know they had no identity they had no standing and for them to have any kind of status in society it was hinged to who they were married to and you were never known as barbara or lucy or you know or kelly you were known as the wife of your husband your tony's wife your bob's wife you, that was your identity and jesus is saying look that, that kind of status stuff, it doesn't, it doesn't matter anymore. Where you're from doesn't matter. What you got in the bank doesn't matter. Your worldly possessions don't matter. Your status in society doesn't matter, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. Let me read this and go back for a second because it threw me off and I don't know if you guys caught this but like, it, it says in the, the end of verse 28, it, it talks about how there's no male or female we're all one in Christ. Well, like I'm an analytical kind of thinker and I'm thinking, well, if it says there's no male or female, then why in the world in verse 26 does it talk about us being sons? Can you guys put that back up there again? For well, you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. How can we all be sons of God if there's no male or female? See what I mean? It's confusing. So I dug around a little bit. You know what I found out? It's a legal term. It's a legal term. It's speaking of legal status. Okay? In that time, again, that's why it's important to know who the writer is writing to okay, and what the culture is, context is. In that time, the sons received the inheritance. Verse 26 ties to verse 29. says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. We're sons. We're heirs. Each and every one of us. Now let me read this again. For you are all heirs of God through faith in Jesus. All of you who were baptized in Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ, listen, in a covenant relationship with him. There, where you're from doesn't matter. There, what you've got doesn't matter. There, your status doesn't matter because your identity, you are all one in Christ Jesus. And because you are in Christ Jesus and belong to Christ, then you are heirs according to the promise of God. That is who you are. That is who you are. What does an heir have? Everything that daddy has. Everything that daddy has. You need provision in your life? The Bible says you're an heir. Don't buy the lie of your circumstance. Don't buy the truth of your circumstance. Take your eyes off the little T. Put your eye on the big T. Because you're an heir, the most high God all rights and privileges and don't let the devil tell you anything else don't let him head fake you with truth to get you to miss the bigger truth no you're not qualified you don't have to be because in Christ all things are possible you're more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus all comes back to him all about Jesus You want to know who you are? You're a child of the most high God whose identity is wrapped up in Jesus himself. And you have just as much access to the Father and all the resources, all the promises, all the provision, all the victory, all the healing, all... You you have it all right there. Praise God. That's who you are. Now, I can build my life on that foundation because it doesn't matter what I see. It doesn't really even matter where I am because I know the bigger truth of where he's taking me. And I know that who I am, while I'm jacked up right now, I know that I, my identity is in Christ. See, that bigger T, that bigger T truth makes all the difference in the world. Don't listen to the truth of the enemy. Listen to the truth of your Father. All the difference in the world.